Thank you for listening to DIY for Business. It's Russ and Greg with you. Greg, how's it going? You know, it's one of those days. It's one of those days. Luckily, the music started playing. It kind of got me in a little better <laughs> mood. I got my dance on and stuff like that. Yeah, but that you did sweeping but, the nation. Your your dances. Well, yeah, I just, I'm trying. I'm trying. Like I should really be hot on TikTok right now. So please, love it. <laughs> you know my moves on TikTok. But my fridge went dead. Oh, really? Yeah. That's no good. Well, you know how oh. it is, right? When your fridge goes yeah. dead, all your meat, all your food, yeah. everything in the freezer, oh, uh, you know, and then we're cool. trying to clean it all out and stuff like that. Luckily, my mother is actually getting rid of her refrigerator. Well, that's so, a happy coincidence for you. <laughs> I know, God. I think I think really I was just the uh, I was just the excuse for her to get another refrigerator because she wanted another one. So she goes, "Well, I'll there get the one I have. You can put it in the garage. You can use that as your spare for now." So, whew, thank goodness, thank you, mom. Nice. She nice. Uh, we got the refrigerator over this uh, earlier today. Put it in the put it in the garage and. We're in the process of, you know, transferring everything over to that fridge. And, you know, it's just, it's an, ugh, it's a mess. Yeah. But at least we have a refrigerator. Hey, at least you were able to get one. You know, like two years ago, it was like there was no supply. I had a neighbor um, who actually had to have a cooler for like two weeks for all of his food because they couldn't get a, ref a new refrigerator in. Like they had nothing in stock anywhere in the area. And they were, they were, they were stuck. <laughs> like, okay. We're, we're eating out and we're uh, using the cooler. Like, well, you know, you know those little fridge, stinky fridges that students use in their dorm rooms and stuff like that? Luckily, yeah. I actually had a couple in my garage. Oh, nice. And I was using that as kind of the temporary pit stop in between my defrosted food and my mother's fridge getting over to my place earlier today. So anyway, yeah. Oh, and my I God. Go great. shopping for refrigerators, too. You're a refrigerator hoarder. People were hoarding toilet paper. You were hoarding refrigerators, mini fridges. <laughs> I, I go big, Russ. I go big. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. I also have an appliance story for today. It's not a horror story. At least I hope it doesn't turn into one. But I, I went and I, I got a new grill yet again. Um, I, <laughs> yeah, I did the I did the upgrade for my. Uh, so I have the, the the Traeger now. I've got a Weber. Uh, the, the whole smart grill thing with the Bluetooth and all that craziness. So I, I have to get the Bluetooth stuff because I'm generally cooking when we're recording. So I've got to be, you know, able to, to access that from my phone while we're uh, doing our podcast here. So uh, another upgrade for me, which the only unpleasantness was the amount of people there. Cause there was a sale. So, uh, I, I had to wait quite some time and, uh, that was, that was a problem. But outside of that, I'm so excited to have this grill. And it, I have to wait a week, but I'm very excited about it. <laughs> well, I, I look at both of our problems and they are pretty, you know, in the grand yeah. scheme of things, they're pretty good problems in life. Exactly. You know what I mean? Right? Exactly. We're, well, we're at the stage of our lives where, you know, <laughs> these are the problems that we're dealing with. Exactly. And, you know, it's not too bad. Like, oh, a new grill, a new you have to wait a week for your Weber? Oh, poor baby. Yeah, right. <laughs> You know, the thing is, though, a part of me, part of me thinks like, you know, you get through that, like that, that midlife crisis thing, right? Like where, like there's some guys that like 
you know, they go out and they buy the convertible car, you know, like you've heard of those, like that's the typical, like maybe eighties movie type of thing, right? Oh, I'm in my midlife crisis. So I've got the convertible me. It's I've got the Weber. That's <laughs> I, I'm just that's your, that's your Corvette. the amount of grills. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's your that. Corvette. I love it. Yeah. Well, you do, well, have, you do have the Corvette of, uh, you know, smokers. I do. I do. It is a very nice smoker. And now I'm going to have the Corvette of uh, grills. So this, I, I've got it all set and I'm ready Ready for my midlife meet. Uh. <laughs> well, well, luckily we have Coach Karen with us today because I yes. think she needs to work with both of us. Yeah, Karen. Uh, Karen Eldad, uh, you, you've got a podcast. You're coaching businesses. You do a lot. But actually, why don't you first tell us a little about what you do uh, before we uh, get into how you're going to help us? Well, hello, gentlemen. First of all, I've really, really enjoyed that rant about your midlife malaise. <laughs> they are hilarious. And I actually will do you one up. I live in Austin, Texas. Last year, we had snowpocalypse. And for three yeah. weeks, we didn't have any electricity. So, Greg, oh, wow. forget about Ouch. expiration dates. There was no food to be salvaged anywhere. Oh, that was the craziest moment of my life. And it was post-pandemic. But yeah, oh, I'm geez, Coach Karen. Yeah. It's a real pleasure to be here. I'm an executive coach. I train and coach teams and executives all over the globe and companies that are huge like Nike and Salesforce and Twitter and startups that are getting off the ground or well-funded and starting to scale. And uh, believe it or not, that often leads to discussions that are surround the midlife crisis. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think it would. I'm not surprised. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, I bet it does because, you know, CEOs or founders of companies, they kind of tend to be around that age and they're going through a transition. And tell us what you've experienced so far. And what do you find? Well, that's about right. First, there is actually a statistic that backs this up. I just didn't prepare properly, but I remember reading in like Fast Company or Forbes that the average age of a startup founder was 46 which something, it was really latched into my brain because so many people, especially young people, have this image of the founder as a younger person, I think. Mm -hmm. And it's not. It's a more seasoned person, particularly the more successful uh, the startup. That makes a lot more sense because life experience, believe it or not, does count. But in executive coaching, and I've now coached hundreds of people privately and in teams, the average age, I have actually done the numbers is 43 in my particular case. And that's that's smack dab in the middle of the midlife crisis, which most researchers define as between the ages of 40 and up until the age of 55. Some people, I guess, are late bloomers. So do you find <laughs> that, that, that people going through midlife crisis as a result of going through that, they go, I just want to start my own business. I just want to start something. I Like this is going to get them out of whatever you know, symptoms they're, they're experiencing of midlife crisis. And that's the change that they needed. They really kind of jumpstart the second half of their life. Is that what they feel? And that's why they do this? In a way, I think that really that's the career pivot. The career pivot is the more typical thing that you'll start to see in a midlife crisis. The midlife crisis is very recognizable. As I uh, have mentioned to you in a private conversation, Greg, it's extremely similar to another stage of life phase identified first by Elio Jacques and Carl Jung, psychiatrists of older times. And it's extremely similar to adolescence. It really is a breaking apart of an old identity for the formation or absorption of a new identity. So it's very normal to challenge the status quo, and it's very typified by the questioning that challenges your status quo. Who am I? What am I going to do next? 
What is it all about? What does this all mean? These sounds like, uh, I think, woo-woo questions or perhaps not concrete questions, but they're very, very typical of the midlife crisis. And often they lead us to blowing things up, pivoting, and yeah, in my case, starting your own business. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. It's it's like it, it is a it is a big pivot, and and I sort of do wonder is like are is it like that's the reason? Like that's the reason so many people are starting up is because of the midlife crisis. Like that's like where they where they get into it, right? Like that's where they're deciding. Like okay, this is the time for me to make this big huge change. Okay, but but if if that's the case, like there also there's also like you know associated stress, um, yeah. uh, like a lot of fear of failure. I remember reading about that with uh, midlife crisis. There's all of those things coming along with it. So does that just make it even more difficult to start a business during that age? I think it's kind of a coping mechanism at first. The at least the desire or yearning to get out of your own way and start something new. The most typical thing that will kind of shake people up and make them aware of the fact that they're in the midlife crisis, and let's be clear, people are mostly in denial for a very, very long time about this happening. For example, have you ever heard somebody say, I don't feel 48? I don't <laughs> right, even yeah. know what that means. I mean, it's one of the most I think I said that earlier today. Like Just the other day, I was with a friend and he said, I don't feel 50. And I was like, I don't think your age cares how you feel. It's a number right. that you have reached. So you can make it bad or good, but you are 50. So- you don't need to feel 50. And instead of uh, denying it, many of us will push through or radically push through, right? By basically establishing something else so that we can sort of expand that um, denial process. And this will only extend the suffering. This is where, Russ, you'll see the fear of failure. You will continue to see an exacerbated basically awareness of I'm not where I want to be in life. And that's what's hurting me right now. However, mm -hmm. there is another way around it. There is a way to first deal with the midlife crisis itself and the emotions that come with it and to come out the other side in full acceptance, which will have you do anything you want to do next with much greater success. Well, I'm curious, okay, well, Aaron. Like, yeah, what's what's the way? Yeah, how do, <laughs> what, do you, what do you do to coach people through the midlife crisis and some of the stuff that they're dealing with to get them out the other side so they're in a good place of mind? Well, first yeah. we have to figure out that that's actually what they're dealing with. There are people who have I I went through the midlife crisis before my 40s. To my mind, by the way, spoiler alert: it's not one crisis; it's a series of crises. <laughs> Sorry. Mm. <laughs> and Brene Brown also says the same thing in a wonderful, wonderful piece that she called called she wrote called The Midlife Unraveling. If you ever want to check it out, it's a blog post. So for many of us, it's not really a linear thing. It's not a one time occurrence. So the first thing you need to understand is whether, in fact, you are dealing with this. It's pretty easy to see. It usually comes with a series of shitstorms. Sorry for the bad word. As in there's an explosion of difficulties that are sort of making you come face to face with the fact that what you've done up until now is just not working anymore. And there has to be some form of change. And then we face it. And here's my radical approach to facing it. Are you ready? We're ready. Russ, I don't feel readiness from you. Oh, I'm ready. I'm okay, ready. Then. I'm sitting back. I'm, then I'm, I'm, gonna I'm tell ready. You. I'm, I'm, I'm holding you're, on you're to my strapped seat. in. You got Hold your seat on on to <laughs> I believe that the best way to deal with this is first to acknowledge that you are dealing with a loss. What you're mm. feeling is a feeling of loss. This is extremely painful for me to say I'm 45 years old. 
It's the loss of you as a young person who will never be here again. It's over. And when you understand that, which is so painful, you will start to go through a period of grief. Grieving is the process that gets you through this. And Elizabeth Kubler-Ross is the famous psychologist who identified the five stages of grief, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. I have never seen them in a different sequence. This is the exact sequence. And if you're willing to go through the process, then the fact that I've just lined them out for you might help you already to find some clarity in this dark wood. That's the process. Yeah. You know, I get the, uh, the morning for youth. I actually remember my 30th birthday party, right? I did this, well, funny enough, did a barbecue in my backyard. I was outside. It was crazy hot. I was out and I lived in the East Bay of uh, the, the Bay area. It gets to like a hundred degrees out there, 105 or something like that, that day. And everything was going great. Fantastic party. At the end of the night, I was tired. I was like, I've been, you know, in this heat all day. I've been cooking all day. I've been talking to people all day. I was like, I really felt like beat. I'm like, you know, 10 years ago, I wouldn't have felt that way. And I sort of got like a little down like that. Like it's my 30th birthday and I'm sitting here and now I'm like kind of, kind of depressed. <laughs> this is well, I wanted cool. to try being a woman. Uh, right. Mostly objectified for beauty and youth and slimness start right. to come up against the very real signs of age. It's really very, very hard. It's a difficult thing. And it's such an important thing to point out and to discuss because we mm -hmm. usually as a society either brush it under the rug or give the midlife crisis an eye roll or don't discuss anything yeah. openly as if it were either taboo or false. I'm here to say many psychiatrists and psychologists after Carl Jung posited that it is very real and also that it is yeah. not optional. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And the second time it hit me, actually speaking of speaking of beauty, not saying I was, I was, uh, beautiful or anything, but once I started like my, my hair thinning and I was like, okay, I'm just going to shave it all. Like <laughs> I'm going to do it. That's when I sort of had that other like, yeah. oh, wow, okay, I'm, I'm not going to have a mullet anymore ever again. This, <laughs> this is probably a good thing, but it's also it feels really bad. <laughs> you know what, Russ? I still remember the first time a young lady at CVS said to me, what would you like, ma'am? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember the first time somebody said, no, no, I don't need your ID. <laughs> that's not cool that's not cool i i remember when i went to vegas for my 40th birthday somebody i actually got carded and i was like the happiest guy in vegas <laughs> <laughs> you won you won the bet i was there. a winner i was <laughs> better than winning <laughs> all right we'll show more stories uh when we come back we'll be right back And welcome back to DIY for Business. It's Russ and Greg with you. We're joined by Coach Karen Eldad. We've been talking about this whole midlife crisis thing, and I, I uh, grabbed some Kleenex. I feel a little better now, and uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe we should change the topic. Maybe. <laughs> no, you know, I, I think this is great to be able to share this information because I'm sure, you know, it, it, you've got two people here or actually three people here that have all three, you know, gone through this. Uh, and actually, you know, we, we, we've ran companies, we've done all that. And I, myself, I had a huge change once I got to the midlife crisis. I changed jobs. I changed like, I changed, like there's so many 
changes that that have happened over over that time. So I think this hits home for a lot of people, but also like, let's talk, like we want to kind of get in the topic of wellness, Greg, you, you sort of chatted with Karen a little before, uh, and I was sort of listening in on that conversation uh, before we even started recording. I'd love to kind of move, move to over to that because I, I, I want to share that as well with our audience. I think it's very Yeah. Well, Coach Karen is just so informed on the topic of wellness. Uh, we, we were talking a little bit about my daughter starting the wellness um, committee in UC Davis Law School, and, and Coach Karen was giving me some kudos for my daughter. This is not kudos to me, but kudos for my daughter for doing that because, you know, we just see that there's such a need out there um, to just take care of our, you know, mental wellness of both ourselves and our team, right? And our company as CEOs and founders, Mm -hmm. you know, that's one of the things that I find is really motivating for, you know, the the company is if, if they see leadership, really taking, um, you know, their wellness in, in uh, you know, and prioritizing it, they want to stay, they want to work harder, they want to like perform for those types of companies. And, you know, that's one of the things I really wanted to get in with Coach Karen about is like, what is she finding? You know, that's just my own personal experience. What is she finding out there and how wellness is playing into companies? Look, let me tell you something. I think it's absolutely marvelous what this generation represented by your daughter is doing right now. Oh. I was in college just 20 years ago, and I don't remember a single initiative starting with the word wellness. I do remember one aerobics class. So I guess that was something, but that was pretty much it. And I think that it's really nice to see how ubiquitous it's become as a practice or at least as a tenet of modern corporations. However, I still think people are getting this wrong. Because here's what wellness does not mean. It doesn't mean Taco Tuesdays or bagels. It doesn't mean a really cool whale sounds room in your building where people can occasionally take a nap. It doesn't even mean your PTO being enforced. Wellness is the practice of recognizing that humans are human and recognizing their humanity in the workplace. And one of those things is, believe it or not, recognizing that many people are dealing with the midlife crisis and many adjacent tangential malaises that come with the classic midlife crisis, right? And so having somebody to talk to is something that people should think about. When I see teams investing in coaching, investing in group coaching, allowing people to have private sessions with me or really sit down with any proper third party, objective, not tethered to the company counselor. That's helping people's mental wellness and resilience and well-being. And that's a really significant uh, investment in people's well-being. I don't know that we're fully there yet. I will just tell you that what doesn't work is the enormous overtures that are about fun. Those are great. They don't usually have measurable lasting effects, certainly not on engagement. What does is treating people and uh, with dignity and, and respecting their humanity and really managing them as humanly as possible. I, I remember when I worked in uh, radio, one, something that was said all the time is, oh, don't get upset about that. It's just business. What do you, what do you feel about that line? If somebody is, if somebody's saying that to you or, or you find yourself saying that, what, how, how would you advise that person? I remember uh, somebody saying that to me once. I don't remember exactly when it was, but it's not personal as business. Everything is personal. Everything is personal. 
everything is through your own filter and through your own synthesis. Now, of course, this has boundaries, right? Like you, you don't expect to be coddled. We're not asking for coddling. We are simply expecting a recognition of humanity, which means a recognition that we are imperfect and you are as well, that things can be worked out in a way that is kind, dignified, clear, honest, and transparent. That's it. So business saying it's not personal as business is not a great way to justify bad behavior. And it's certainly not an invitation for somebody to take advantage. Everybody has to learn how to have the, the proper container around what they do. I, I highly recommend if, if there's a company that still thinks this way, in this very antiquated way, not only a deep dive into Brene Brown's work, in particular, her magnum opus, Dare to Lead, but The Culture Code by Dan Coyle, for example, which is a wonderful book. Leadership has shifted enormously. The structures within companies, even startups, have struck, have really, really moved. And uh, if you don't take care of it, I promise you it'll catch up with you. Mm-hmm. I got a follow-up question to that. You're saying, you know, it, everything's personal. And Russ and I, you know, we work together, we manage together, and we developed a lot of personal relationships with people that reported to us, right? We became friends with them and stuff like that. I love that. But is that recommended? Because sometimes does that cloud your decision making as a manager because you are friends with those people? Again, How do you feel about that? The answer is boundaries. I think people don't really understand the difference between it's personal and I'm taking it personally. Those are very, very different things. I'm not taking anything personally ever again for the rest of my life. Because I understand that what other people do has nothing to do with me. My agency only has control over my life. However, I am personal within boundaries. Just because I'm friendly and wonderful does not now mean, please come and live in my house. Or, (laughs) of course, you can have my cat. No, this is my cat and this is my house. And I'm very, very happy to, within those recognized boundaries, interact with you to the absolute best of my ability and with the absolute best of my intentions. That is what boundaries are. And the, the, the leaders who are most compassionate and most effective in my experience, who are able to scale, will not take things personally, but are very personal. There's a wonderful way of saying it that I read in a book called The CEO. I want to call it, say it's The CEO Secret. Please forgive me. I'll, I'll look back to it and uh, find you the exact Uh, title, which is be nice, but not too nice. You have to understand where exactly nice turns into solicitous or martyr. They are very different things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How do you advise people? Because, uh, okay, it's always one of those things where, you know, we've got our regular listeners to the show. There's going to be somebody that sees the the podcast description is like, oh, I've got this problem. I, I really need to, I really need to figure it out. And if we're putting, you know, something in there about, you know, how do you create this environment? How do you do it? How do you advise the, the people that you've worked with on creating that type of environment that's mm-hmm. healthy and not too personal, but personal enough? Well, believe it or not, I I, I do believe in in group coaching and team coaching with all my heart. It's one of my favorite things to do. But I also believe that uh, there's only one way to get there, and that is to coach yourself individually. You have to change, not they have to change, not you as a team have to change. The more the leader is expansive in his or her own self-awareness or their own self-awareness, the more uh, they are able to give themselves empathy 
the more they will be compassionate towards others. There is no other way. And once you do, your empathy spills over. It really, a rising tide lifts all boats. That is the critical factor. So I am a big proponent of executive coaching, private executive coaching, if you can afford it and if you're ready for it, because it will change everything around you. So, uh, you know, coaching and executive coaching, I get completely. What about managers trying to coach their employees on their mental wellness? And I can hear HR departments like freaking out going, <laughs> oh, wait a second. You know, yeah. if you, you got to do it a certain way or certain limitations. <laughs> otherwise, we're liable. Like, how do you work with managers to make sure they can help their team but not get the company in trouble from an HR point of view. Well, you can easily do that because you learn basically the the protocols that you're able to share and, the, and where exactly the boundaries are of what you can share. I was a suicide counselor uh, for many years, and that's how I got in, in, involved in this industry and uh, really found my calling. <clears throat> and on the suicide hotline, crisis text line, which is now the largest in the world, you have a protocol. These are the exact phrases you may share, and this is where you are not able to go. And it's simple. Are you okay? Are you experiencing any difficulty? Is there something I can help you with? What would you ask a friend to help you with? What can you share? Can you share this with other people? Do you have any confidence in your life? Who can share this with you? Do your best to not cross over into it because it is not your business. And it is certainly for suicide counselors or volunteers, they are not normally mental health practitioners. I happen to be one, but even I was not able to cross that line. You have to understand your boundaries and do what you can to bring them to recognizing the problem and to getting themselves to the next level in which they will find real certified help. So if that is an existing crisis or situation, it's something where you really want to bring them to awareness and hopefully help them to find or to explore the right solution for them. As for coaching, management coaching, managerial coaching, absolutely. If you are working with an executive coach, you will pick up a lot and you will learn to coach your team rather than to lead your team or to command your team. And that will produce much, much greater results as well. It's just another reason to essentially expose yourself to this kind of technique. Yeah. You know, um, I, I like, <laughs> there's like 10 different paths. I want to go here. So <laughs> I know. I'm going to organize my thoughts here. Cause we've got, we've got a couple different ways that, uh, that we could go and, uh, we do have to take a short break. So we're going to do that while I try to figure out the next uh, path or maybe I'll just let Greg do it. And, and, oh, he's just dancing. Never mind. All right. We'll be right back with more DIY for business. Thanks for listening to DIY for Business with Russ and Greg. We're a part of the Electrocast Network, right? And the best business network as well. Be sure to go check out those websites. We're going to link to those in the description here, but we'll also link to our website, which is DIYforbusinesspodcast.com. You know, I love having Coach Karen with us because she dances with me.
<laughs> she's danced and she's grooving. Yes. She's got a smile. It's like, all right, this is fun. I should this just leave fun. the music playing the entire time. Like, I, I don't know. You know I'm sure play. we could have a great conversation while dancing, but you know, <laughs> this allows me to focus a little bit more. When the music stops, I can think about what we want to talk about and what I want to kind of go into next. Coach Karen is it's like okay. We've kind of worked through the teens. We figured out how to help each other, stuff like that. Now let's think positive. We're growing. Yeah. How do we scale, right? How do we take what's been working for a smaller company and be able to replicate it and, and grow it? That's a scary thing. A lot of companies can't handle mm-hmm. that. A lot of leaders can't handle that. A lot of CEOs have no clue. How do I scale this? Yeah. How do you help those types of companies? Well, let's go back to the midlife crisis. Technically, it shouldn't really be scary. For most of us living today in our 40s, we probably have half of the road left to run. That's not nothing. That's a lot of time. It's the same for founders. If they really looked at scaling objectively, it would actually be a very good thing. However, they enter it exactly as we do the midlife crisis. It looks like uncertainty. It looks Mm -hmm. like danger. It looks like a big, juicy problem that I have no idea how to face. And so it's scary. And your brain is not really wired to make you happy and leap at things and get very excited about them. Your brain is designed to be highly suspicious of anything new, even potential success, even growth. Look at my brother-in-law, for example, as a great example. He's got a big company that's finally scaling to the point where he needs to hire real employees rather than just work with an army of freelancers. Mm -hmm. And I thought he would be so thrilled about this and constantly brag about it. And all he's doing is talking about how terrible it is, (laughs) how hard it is to have employees, what unbelievable difficulties have befallen him. This is very, very normal on the way to scaling your company. And again, to transcend this, you will have to realize what a midlifer has to realize, which is what got us here won't get us there. Everything we've relied on, the hustle, the overemphasis on achievement, the working a certain way that's really, really hard, very, very controlling is not going to work anymore. Now we need to let go. We need to learn to let go. And the best way to do that is to plug yourself into uh, a circuit of people who have already been there because they will ease the way. Once again, it's sort of like uh, a midlifer hanging out with a 57-year-old, right? Like they're pretty much going to say, you're going to be okay. You're not going to die. You'll be fine. <laughs> it's going to be over at some point. Or for me, I mean, when I uh, was going through a divorce, hanging out with people who've already been through a divorce, it's okay. You're, this is not over. You, right. we'll, we'll help you through this. It's exactly the same for founders who are about to scale. Hang out with people who are already operating at the level you want to operate with. It will save you enormous amounts of time. And that's, again, also where executive coaches come in. Usually we've either been through our own scaling, in my case, or we really are already working with so many people who have been through that transition that we've gleaned some serious lessons that can help you. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, like, you can only control your own emotions, your own, you know, like how you're going to take these things and trying to flip those uh, dangers that you're talking about, the, the problems, the, the risks, the all of the craziness that comes with making your company bigger. I mean, it, it's hard to flip that and, and make that in your own mind to look like an opportunity. The, the way that I've kind of done that, at least I, that I've tried to do that, is I don't, I try not to use the words 
risk or problem or error or whatever. I try to always look at it as an opportunity. I, yeah. I just call it that. Like I've changed my vocabulary. So that becomes, okay, we've got a new opportunity here. Yeah. <laughs> this one's a learning opportunity because yes, there, there was a problem and we're fixing it. And here's how we're going to do that. And it's just like, I had to do that like overtly with like vocabulary and just make myself so that I, I train myself so that I say those things. And that's, that, that was my technique on that. It's a mindset. Yeah. I'm a really big fan of that. That's a, that's a really incredible and very powerful reframe. Just avoid repression and avoid numbing the pain. The pain is real. Yeah. You, you deserve to be okay with being afraid. It's okay to be afraid. Mm-hmm. This is not easy for anyone. And by the way, whenever somebody says to me, no, I just fell ass back into success, I kind of want to smack them. It's first right. of all a lie. And secondly, right, yeah. it's unkind. It's hard. This is a difficult climb. You don't need to navigate it by yourself. So first, give yourself grace. Hopefully, find some support. And yes, eventually, when you're ready, reframe it. It is an opportunity. It absolutely is. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's... um. It, it's not easy to do that, but, but I was going to, I was going to compliment Greg here. Cause uh, you know, Greg and I worked together for a lot of years and it always does seem like you're so easygoing when there's a problem or when there's a, an issue, like that stress doesn't really come out in the workplace. At least, you know, maybe, maybe you get in your car and you start screaming or something. I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> no, you, no, road rage. You, no road rage. How do no. you control that? How do you stay so kind of even kill and like, you know, I think it is a mindset. It seems chill. <laughs> it, is, it is chill. It, and it's a mindset. It's a conscious mindset because I just feel that if leadership is stressed and is, you know, putting that out to the team, they're going to feel that and they're just going to put it out to their team and they're going to put it out to our customers. And I don't think that's productive. So if, you know, they feel for me that, Hey, we can handle this. If we work together, we'll figure out the solutions. Let's just get to the solutions. Not, you know, one of the things that I always try to, um, you know, work on is it's okay to bring the problems, but let's work on the solutions. Don't just dwell on, I just want to give you problems. I just want to just share problems and stuff like that and just dwell on that because, you know, you got to identify where we can improve, but let's work together to improve and not mm-hmm. just get stuck. And I think a lot of people, a lot of managers will get stuck. So, and I've, I've, I've noticed that, I've realized that, and I just didn't want to be that. Yeah. Well, I think you take a very healthy approach to it as well. Like uh, mentally, uh, like for you, a very, you know, it, it, it's, it's great because I don't think you do go home uh, into your car and, and scream no. or, you know, uh, go home and as uh, I, you wouldn't do this, kick the dog. No. Um, <laughs> you know, like you're not doing those things, right? Like, I mean, sometimes well, when they're barking during the podcast, it, I might appreciate it, but um, it, it's, <laughs> it's not what you're doing. And so you keep it really... It, well, it's great the way that you do it, but there's a lot of people out there that that can't do that, that that you know can't control that, where they the the work stress spills into their personal life so much that the reason why you're working is so that we can have that personal life, <laughs> and they're ruining it by bringing home that stress. Uh, now I'm going to throw it over to you, Karen. Like how, people like that, how do you get them out of that? How do you get make change for them to try to help them to to better handle the stress? Well, the first thing to do is to make them aware of that. Many people are not aware of that. 
they live in patterns of denial. Most people, first of all, think that they're extremely self-aware. If you read a, any Harvard Business Review journal uh, article about that, you will find that many think that, but 10 to 15% of people are actually the definition, mm -hmm. the academic definition of self-aware, which is not only knowing yourself and your blind spots, but also how you are perceived by others. That's why people, when you do a 360 in their team are usually stunned by the results, right? You're not really self-aware. You just think you are because, I don't know, you read a Tony Robbins book. The second <laughs> thing that's really interesting here is uh, to do is to help to work with them once they've attained a little bit more uh, self-awareness. And you can do that with behavioral assessments and also through just basic sessions of coaching to begin to explore how they think is to also get them to challenge whether they're actually happy and how they're really, really behaving. The, the truth is hard to face. As Gloria Steinem once said, the truth will set you free, but first it's going to piss you off. Now, if you're willing to sit with me and be pissed off, you're welcome to take your anger out on me. I've been through this a lot with a lot of C-suite executives. You will get to a place of extraordinary clarity, to a place of equanimity, to what Greg is demonstrating, and which is, really the ability to navigate difficult crises, to reframe them as you are, Russ, always as a possibility and an opportunity, and to truly let that anxiety be gone and allow yourself to grow and to have resilience as you grow. That's the dream. You know, you said something that really hit home with me is you said, you know, you have to identify if you're truly happy. And you know, Russ was joking about me getting into the car and screaming or getting home and kicking the dog. And in a previous episode, I, I mentioned that, you know, when my kids were young growing up, when I got home from work, they would just come running to the front door and do the leap of love into my arms. I'd hug them and I'd swing them around. And it was just the, the greatest time. And I look forward to that every evening when I got home from work. And I was truly happy. I mean, my my life was truly happy because I was doing what I wanted to do at work. I was getting through and getting somewhere with the company and, and working with a great team of employees. And then I got to come home and get the leap of love for my two daughters. And I was like, maybe I was able to be a good manager, a good leader because I was happy. But I never realized really? until you just said it, Karen. Exactly. <laughs> I know. The thing that sucks about what you're saying is that leap of love lasts, what, like 10 years at best? And uh, so many people will then live the rest of their life in regret, as my mother has. She is still waiting, that poor woman, for me to go back to the leap of love phase, and I never will. Mm. However, you can go inside and find, forgive the cat, the leap of love by yourself, within yourself, and for yourself. And once you do, it will never leave you. That is the ultimate gift of finishing the process of the midlife crisis. Brene Brown said it was like an existential cage fight, but at the end of it, she got her life back. And I got to tell you, same here. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. That is awesome. Thanks. So Karen, uh, you've got uh, you've got a cat. Um, I do. I have a cat. <laughs> on video, we just had the cat like walk past the microphone. Does it do that while you're recording your podcast? It does whatever it wants. Because <laughs> we have the dogs on our podcast. So, you know, to have a cat, it, it's, it's, uh, it works out great, I think. Well, I was actually uh, just going to say, we're lucky that the dogs didn't start barking. This is actually easier. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so tell us, uh, tell us about your podcast. Coached is a podcast that is a call-in show. It's my tribute to my favorite TV show of all time, Frasier. Hey. Nice. <laughs> For those who remember, Frasier is still, of course, in reruns every single day, almost everywhere. And uh, I take people's calls about whatever is ailing them and hope to give them some respite and some inspiration so that they can deal with all their modern day dramas. That's awesome. And so, uh, we've talked about coaching plenty here, too. So if somebody wanted to utilize your services, have you come in and help them out? How do they do that? Go to KarenLDad.com and book a consultation. We'll talk about what's appropriate for you. I'll be thrilled to do a strategic breakthrough session. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I, I think we had a, at least one breakthrough in this uh, with, with Greg there. So that was, that was perfect. Yeah, uh, thank you so much. Okay. <laughs> anytime, anytime. Yeah. yeah, Karen, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you both. Oh, that was a lot of fun, Karen. And thank you for dancing with me. That was a, that <laughs> yeah, was that was a Let's do a TikTok next time. Oh, you got it. Let's do this. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and reviewing DIY for Business, a part of the best business network. And yes, they're dancing again. And Electrocast Media. The subjects that we cover on this podcast are selected with the goal of helping your business grow. All of the information provided is opinion-based, and you might want to consult a professional to discuss your exact business situation. Greg and I want your business to succeed, and we are happy to take your questions. We'd love to hear your suggestions for future episodes as well. You can do so by heading over to our website, DIYforbusinesspodcast.com. The link is in the podcast description. We thank you again for listening and subscribing to DIY for Business, where you are not alone. Or Whatever Movies is our podcast. A movie discussion podcast hosted by yours truly, Iris, and my older brother. I'm Wesley. So we talk about recent and favorite feature films. In a brotherly and sisterly way. <laughs> is that good or bad? It's great. And between the two of us, we've seen thousands of movies. So check out hundreds of episodes at orwhatevermovies.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. And subscribe to Or Whatever Movies, presented by Society 13 and the Electrocast Network. If, like me, you love music in the movies, you'll love our podcast, Sync Love. I'm your host, Kurt DeBeek. I meet with top music supervisors and experts to learn what film scores inspired their careers. From Wes Anderson to Sofia Coppola, Quentin Tarantino to Spike Lee, great directors have called on a host of musical talent to bring their visions to life. We talk about the challenges and triumphs that change their lives. Join us for movies and music on Sync Love, wherever you listen to podcasts. Electric acid.